And I've also come to proclaim to you there are signs in the heavens and in the earth that are proclaiming loudly the earth itself has split open. It's rocking and reeling. In my own nation of the United States, the 50th state in the Union, Hawaii, is being torn apart by volcanic activity. Houses being destroyed. Never in my lifetime have we seen such a thing. I'll be 60 this year. I'm a child, a product of the 60s and the 70s. There has never been a peaceful time in my world. I don't ever recall a time since I was knee-high to a grasshopper where the world has been a safe place to live. There's no such thing as good people. There are people who are murderers and dealers and wheelers and liars and cheats. And I'm going to tell you something about what the Bible says when the end comes as it surely will. There's only one of two places to be, either inside the gates or outside of it. That's it. So while you may look at me and you may say, you are crazy, I have lived enough circles of my life to know that there are things happening now that have never happened before in my lifetime. The Bible's true and it's real and things are shaping up. And so I am here to proclaim to you, to encourage you, if you've been slipping around or feeling like you've lost your hope or your reason, there is a reason we gather in this church three times a week. It's to renew us, to refresh us, to remind us there is an end coming. And you want to be ready for it. Oh, hallelujah. But in between now and then, there are some head games going on. Nobody's without family problems. We are going through cancer like the rest of the world. Serving Jesus does not keep you from disease. It keeps you from the consequences of sin. Now, these are the consequences of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means your own death. This thing of cutting to feel pain so you can feel anything. After people have gone through horrible experiences and dulled their natural senses, they will take to marking themselves with knives or or implements of self-destruction because they're so tormented by the fact they can't feel anything and they just want to feel. You say, how do you know this? Because we've counseled people who are involved. That You say, I'd never do it. Well, then you don't know about Jesus in the Gadarenes where he found a man that was full of sorrow and suffering and torment and cutting himself in the tombs. But when that man came in contact with God, all that hell that was in him had to bow itself at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus set him free from his depression and his cutting. We serve an awesome God. Now, I am not a soldier. You look at me, you can tell I'm a grandmother. There's nothing spectacular about me. I do know how to fire a gun because America the Beautiful does permit us to conceal and carry. I have taken lessons. I know how to use a handgun. I pray to God I never have to, but I can do it if I have to. It's a real pretty pink little raspberry Ruger. Had to put it away because our granddaughter saw it, admired it, and so it vanished quickly. So now I just use Acts and 238s in the name of Jesus. That's all I can use right now. But I will tell you this. There is a battle that's far more powerful than a thief who's trying to break into my home. Because there's a thief that's trying to break into my head. 
and there's a thief that's trying to break into my heart and cause me destruction and then turn me into a weapon of mass destruction to my family. Use my tongue willingly because I believe his lies about other people to shoot them down and destroy them. I'm going to tell you where that starts. So I want you to go with me to Revelations 12, 9 through 11. If I don't finish it tonight, I'll finish it tomorrow. I'm not afraid. Revelation, the 12th chapter, the 9th through the 11th verses. And when you get there, say amen. The reason why I'm using the Bible as my guide is because my personal opinion doesn't matter a flip. But if we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ and understand what we're up against, we have to go to the manual of how to be a good soldier. We're a family first. You come in here, you'll find food, comfort, love. Nobody's going to judge you. But at some point, you're going to have to arm yourself against what's coming against your head, against your heart, against your will. So Revelation, the 12th chapter, the 9th through 11th verses says this, And the great dragon was cast out that old serpent called the devil and Satan. And what is he doing to the whole world? He's deceiving them. You see, he can't force people to do anything, but he can trick them into believing it. And then all he has to do is stand back and let them go. And they are destructive. You can always tell where he is and where he's been. He's come to do one of three things. Steal, kill, and destroy. Broken homes, broken marriages, broken children who grow up to become broken parents with broken homes and broken marriages. It is an endless, vicious cycle of repetition. We've all come from it. Say amen. There is a better way. The Bible says he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. That is a very depressing thought. But then verse 10 says this. This is heaven's response to him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come for his steal, kill, and destroy salvation, strength, and the kingdom of our God. There are going to be people who are not going to be willing to live that life of hell on earth because they're willful, opinionated, stubborn, and determined. There are going to be people to say, I've already made hell of my life, and I came from hell. I need a little heaven on earth, Jesus. Let me feel what it feels like to be free of the need to do constantly. Now, I heard that voice saying, the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Jesus came to take common people like you and me and empower us to stand against our adversary. For the accuser. Now I'm going to tell you right now. I have never come across ordinary people whom I have had to sit down because they were so supportive, so encouraging, so uplifting. What most of us deal with is people who believe accusations built on a case that someone else has been whispering in their ear. We have an enemy. The Bible said he is the prince and power of the air. I'm going to tell you there are two things 
in the air globally right now. I've traveled the world, and it's no different. Doesn't make a bit of difference what color your skin is or what language you speak. There are two emotions that are ruling the planet right now. Anger and fear. And people are acting on both of them. And between anger and fear is depression, despair, hopelessness, helplessness, darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Now, here's what's amazing. The accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before whom? God. How often did he do it? Day and night. So if you think the servant Jesus Christ is going to take you out of the battle, and this is a battle, a battle to believe, a battle every time I open the news report and see something else done to a poor little old child that is just like an attack right in my face. And you know what I do? The Bible said they overcame the voice of accusation. Now, here's one thing. It's one thing to see what he's doing out there, but it's another thing when you're the one who's messed up. And here's what the devil does. He will deceive you into believing that you can whip this battle by yourself. You can control the alcohol, and it will never control you. You can control the drug, and it won't control you. You can control the illicit relationships, and they won't control you. That is the lie. It has been perpetrated on this planet for every year because Eve believed that she could control the result of eating a piece of fruit. And Adam went right along with her. And from that moment on, the devil has deceived generations of us, and we have left children lost homes, left destruction in our wake because of what we believed. I can do it. It's going to be different for me. The result is still the same. The Bible said if you disconnect from God, the wages of disobedience is one thing, death. Dead to your feelings, dead to what you're doing, dead to your children, dead to your wife, dead to your husband, dead to your parents. People that are in sin can break hearts and crush little people and never look. Am I telling the truth? You know I'm telling the truth. But when you come to Jesus, He brings life and life more abundantly. And for the first time in your life, you feel guilty. You feel heartbroken because of what you did. And you said, I don't want to feel heartbroken. But that's the first sign that life's coming back in those nerves. Now what happens to us is when he leads us down that garden path. Promising things that no sin, no drug, no illicit relationship can produce. It's just more of the same thing and deeper. You'll notice something. It takes more of whatever you started with to keep you feeling like you used to. And after a while you can't feel anything at all. But I'm telling you when you go down that road and you say you're describing me. I'm a mess and I've been living in hell. Jesus said, if you'll grab onto something red, if you'll just say, Jesus, I'm asking you for the blood. I'm guilty, but I plead the blood. I plead the blood. Say, what do you do when I'm discouraged? 
and I've messed up. Everybody say, I mess up. I have to repent every day. Every day. I have to say, that wasn't right. I didn't say the right thing. I I didn't do the right thing. I feel convicted. You say, well, I don't want to feel convicted. Then you can't go with Jesus because he is a loving father. He's perfect and he corrects his children. You got to be able to take correction. So when my enemy hauls me in and I stand there before the Lord and I know I've done wrong. I know I've said wrong. And he's just pounded me and telling me, you can't make it. You're not going to do it. You're too far gone. Jesus said they overcame him. Past tense. They got over it. Yes, I have failed, but I plead the blood. Yes, I have made mistakes, but I'm calling on Jesus. Yes, I know my child has done wrong. But I plead the blood. Yes, my mother and daddy need help. I plead the blood. Would you lift your hands? I plead the blood. Hallelujah. We can overcome. You say, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't. I don't have to know it. You're human. Get real. Nobody's perfect. You say, well, we're supposed to be. No, we're not. We're complete in Him. If I get out of Him, everything I'm not is going to show up. But when I'm standing in Jesus, when I'm standing in that blood, oh, hallelujah. Now, we share something in common with the Union Jack. That flag has three colors, the red, the white and the blue. Australia has those same colors, doesn't it? In your flag, red, white, and blue. When an army is under attack, they raise a banner so that people can rally with them. The first color of the banner that the Lord has given us to rally around is the red. Nobody's going to get out of here without the blood of Jesus. I don't care how well you sing, play. Everybody needs to repent. And you know what I do? I know I'm such a failure. I just say, Jesus, you know that I messed up. Cover me in your blood. And as long as he's here, there's blood for that. There's blood for that. There's a, you tell me your worst sin. I'm going to come right back with you and say there's blood for that. You say, but I have an accuser standing in the courtroom. Yes, but you also have an advocate. <laughs> and the advocate happens to be the judge also. So while he's standing there listening to the testimony of your accuser, he runs down here and he begins to say, yes, but uh, I will pay that fine. I'll cover that debt. And you know what? Because Jesus is my barrister and because Jesus is the judge, my accuser has to go. He's taught me what to plead. Don't plead innocent because you know you're not. And don't be guilty because you know what I've got. Just plead the blood. Let's thank him again for the blood. Hallelujah. I want to go to Isaiah 59 and 19 and talk to you about our flag for a minute. That flag, even though people disrespect it, dishonor it, mock it, burn it, spit on it, tear it to pieces. It still means something to me because it's the colors of my country. It should mean something to you. It's not much of a unifying factor anymore, but there is a flag for all of us. And Isaiah says in fifty nine nineteen, 
So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. And here it is. When the enemy, when you hear that voice at three o'clock in the morning and you're so depressed you can't hold your head up. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will run a flag up the flagpole. He's trying to get your attention. Did you fail? Grab the red. You can overcome that voice. You'll have to do it with the blood of Jesus. Don't excuse it. Don't blame anybody else. Just claim it. I plead the blood. Then he said this. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not standing up here telling you this story because I read this in a book. I've had to do this. Now, if the blood of the lamb is for moments when you've messed up really badly. Now, this is is strategic. He said, I want to tell you in advance what you're going to need against your adversary that's coming after you. He said, I'm going to give you three things. The blood, your testimony, and selflessness. Hold on to it because you're going to need all three. Now, we can infer if we have to plead the blood that his first tactic is going to be, I'm going to drag up everything you've ever done. And I'm going to paralyze you with it. And you won't move because you're going to have to agree with me. And you can't agree with him. So that's the first step. You don't agree with him that you're worthless and a loser and a whatever because of the blood. Now the next thing is, if you can overcome him by what you say about what God's done for you, then I'm going to tell you his next attack is going to be to take you through something terrible and tell you how hopeless it is. That's his second technique. Because if he can get you to despair and to doubt, you will act on it. You'll stop coming to church. You'll retreat and then he'll pick you off because he does his best work one person at a time. So he isolates us. So if you start to feel discouraged or depressed because you're going through cancer for the second time or because your husband's not in church or your children aren't living right or you don't have enough money or just fill in the blank, would you? (laughs) The only way to get through a new circumstance that feels awful is to talk about what God has already done for you. You can either talk yourself into a hole or you can talk yourself out of a hole. That's why we come to church and pray sing because he's trying to give us words to fight the thoughts, words to fight the feelings. Because how did the Lord form the world? He didn't think about it. He spoke. The power of death and life is in your tongue. So when your enemy comes in like a flood, don't start describing how horrible your life is. Don't start glorifying. You don't know where I've been. You don't know how hard this trial is. You don't know how hard this test is. I've never been here before. You start saying things like this. I remember when I was sick and he healed me. I remember when I didn't have a job and he heard me. I remember when Jesus Christ lifted me when I was discouraged. If he did it once, he can do it again. If he ever healed once, he can do it again. If he's ever lifted me once, he can lift me again. I'm not going to be silent. I'm going to testify. 
telling you. The red is the blood and the white is that pure language where you stop venting and describing how horrible it is. The more you talk about it, the bigger it gets. So you know what I do when I'm there? When I absolutely feel like I'm going to bust because I'm struggling and I don't have a clue what I'm going to do. I look at, at what Jesus has done. I want you to listen to me. The blood is when the devil puts you on trial. The word of your testimony is when he puts Jesus on trial. Yeah, how, how's that working for you? Has the Lord answered your prayer? Mm-hmm. How long you been praying that prayer? Uh-huh. He's never going to answer. You might as well give up. You might as well cut your losses and run. You might as well go with everybody else because this is not real. And if you don't have a testimony, you'll do exactly what Peter did while Jesus is standing there being accused by your adversary. I want you to write this down because I want you to get this. I'm taking my time with you tonight because I want to leave something with you after the shout is gone. I want you to listen to me. He's going to try to attack your head and your heart. You need to be able to know this. There are four possible answers to prayer. Are you ready? Yes. No. Wait or act. Say, well, I just gave up. I quit praying. You never count years of life or how many prayers you prayed. The question is, did you ask him today? I've asked him 15,000 times. I've been keeping track. Well, yesterday's gone. It's over. You've already asked for yesterday. But did you get up this morning and say... You're so good. You're good all the time and your mercy endures forever. You know, I don't have my answer yet, but I want you to know that I'm still standing here in the need of prayer. I've got some moms and dads that I love, some kids that I love. Lord, you know my need. I want to get over my issue. God, you have been so good to me. And I'm going to tell you something. There's a moment when you go, God, I don't know if you will do it because right now I feel weight. I'm just waiting. What are you doing? Well, he, he hasn't answered me yet. Did he say yes? No, it wasn't that kind of prayer. Well, did he say no? No, it wasn't a yes, no prayer. It was a something that I'm looking for like a child at Christmas time. Well, so what are you doing? I'm waiting. I'm just waiting. Well, what does it say about people that wait? They decide they don't, they're not going to get rash. They're not going to get mad. They're not going to get offended. They're not going to get hurt. They're, they're, they're just going to wait. So then the test is, how do you occupy yourself while you're waiting? Well, this is what the Bible says for people who are waiting. They that wait upon the Lord. They renew their strength. So it's like you've been weak all this time and you're just, oh God, I don't know what you... And the Lord says, I'm going to let you wait for a little bit. Why? Because you need to renew your strength. You've been weary. I've already got the answer. Daniel, I heard you three weeks ago when you first prayed. But something was going up in the heavenlies because you waited on me though. And you didn't go, this is stupid. I quit. I give up. This is ridiculous. Let me tell you something. Your answer is going to be equal to how long you waited. 
You might be asking for something huge. Well, you might be waiting a while for it because when it happens, it's going to knock you off your feet. Hallelujah. They that wait upon the Lord renew their strength. They mount up with wings. You'll take flight. You'll be airborne. Hallelujah. You're going to see things from God's view. From all on high. Hallelujah. But then it doesn't finish there. It says he's going to lift you up. You're going airborne. And then he says you can't stay in the air. He said I'm going to I'm going to bring you down to earth. But you're going to hit the ground at a dead run. They shall run and not be weary. You're saying what's happening? I've been waiting on the Lord and I got my answer. And now I've got strength. I can run to a troop and leap over a wall. I know what the Lord has done for me. I've been waiting. See, it's our ignorance. You pray, you don't get it in the day. You're like, we're like kids at the store pulling on mama's coattail at Woolworths. Can I have this? Can I have that? Can I have this? Mama, I want this. Mama, I want that. God is not a vending machine. And some of the prayers we're praying, like I'm praying, I want to see some things. It's very private to me, Rowan. And I'm not telling anybody. Yes, I recognize you. Hello, Liz. So good to see you. Praise the Lord. I'm waiting for some things. You know, I waited a long time to come to Australia. I, I, I was supposed to come more than 20 years ago and I didn't get a chance and I just had to wait on the Lord. But you know what? I'm glad I'm here now. I, if I had to choose when to be here, I want to be here now with gray hair. A grandmother telling you God was awesome 20 years ago and He's awesome 20 years later. And if you want to run with me, you can run. Say, well, your Jesus is not doing such a good job. What about all you sick people? I'm not leaving him. The word of my testimony is, he has loved me all my life. I'm going to defeat that voice that said, he's not alive. The Bible says that he's going to give us a pure language. Zephaniah 3, 9. Then I will turn to the people of pure language that they all may call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. I won't hear accusation against Jesus. I've heard so many people list their ten reasons why they don't come to church anymore. I had somebody say to me, this is why I'm not coming back, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, I understand that. Would you just go over in that prayer room there and kneel down and tell that to Jesus? I didn't save you. I didn't lift you out of the pig pen where you were wallowing like an animal. I didn't give you peace of mind. You go tell him what's got you all worked up. Don't tell it to me because I can't help you. You know what? Jesus has never done me anything but good. I'm counting on him. I recognize that if he does not come for me, there may come a time when these bones will lay down. There's only one way off this planet. Either from a pine box when the trumpet sounds or alive and waiting to hear it. But there will be an exodus. There will be an exodus. You say, what are you doing? I've, 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 the devil's given me an opportunity to get offended at my Jesus. I can't do it. I'm not trading him. Yeah, but you don't know what so-and-so did to me. I'm sorry. I can let that go. I'm not letting go of him. 
That's the word of my testimony. Would you lift your hands and tell Jesus how much you love him? If you don't love him, you're going to leave. You'll never make it. We can't sing good enough. We can't give you enough toys and games to keep you occupied. If you don't fall in love with Jesus, you're not going to make it. I don't want to leave him. I don't want to lose him. Thank you, Jesus. And then the last thing is the blue. The red, the white, and the blue. Now, if we can infer that the blood means he's going to try to hit me where I've messed up. And the word of my testimony is he's going to hit me where Jesus has messed up. Then not loving my life to the death is going to be when I feel tired of always giving. After you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you say, oh, it won't matter if I don't show up. Man, I'm tired. I um, Let those younger people do it. The younger people are saying, I, I can't commit to that. I've got work. I've got school. I've got la, 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 la. Fill in the blank. This hour of selfishness, self-centeredness, narcissism, it's all about me. We knew he was going to do this because the Bible said these people that overcame the dragon. You know, he started as a serpent in the garden, but by the book of Revelation, he's huge. He's big and he's breathing fire. And he will sit and tell you, you deserve that little sin that you're about to commit. He'll tell you that it's your right. Go find yourself. You deserve this. You've been faithful all these years. You deserve just a little peccadillo. You deserve just just a momentary, just a weekend of messing around. His voice is strong. If he can't intimidate you into messing up, he will seduce you into messing up. You say, well, I'm not worth much. Are you kidding me? There's not a person in this audience that the devil would not love to rip to shreds. You're just another notch in his belt. When you are tired, and that's when it usually happens, we have this thing called HALT, H-A-L-T. If you are hungry or hurt, angry, lonely, or tired, stop. You might be getting ready to do something really stupid. Go rest for a while. Go ask Jesus to heal you. Let the anger go tell somebody who loves you, pray for me. I'm I'm so angry right now. Forgiveness is a balm for anger. If you're lonely, David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I, I don't come here because I'm awesome and spectacular I come here because I don't want to be lonely on a Friday night I don't want to be lonely on a Saturday I don't want to lose myself in escapism I want to face my life with my eyes wide open no matter how bad it is why would you do that because I have a flag there's a flag standing next to me and a savior standing next to that flag if I can if 
Sometimes I get separated through my own stupidity. I, I find myself alone and surrounded. And I'm hollering out, Jesus, where are you? Help! Suddenly I see that flag. If I can just get there, if I can just make it. Oh, God, help me. And what I don't know is the angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear him. He said he'll make a way out of no way. But I'm trapped. I'm I'm on a little island and I've I've got stuff all around me and I don't know how to make it. And then suddenly there's just a pathway through the water and I'm just come this way. How do I get out of this mess I'm in? Uh, And he'll remind me, go ahead and read Psalms. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Are you scared? I'm scared to death. I've never been here before, but the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? What are you doing? I'm I'm using the word of my testimony to talk myself through some dark places and some empty, lonely places. And what's on the other side of that? Jesus is standing there with healing in his hands and hope. I've never found anything he couldn't do. What are you doing? I march to the red, the white, the blue. Well, you're 60. Isn't it about time for you to do some things you want to do? Don't think the thought hasn't crossed my mind. We are now raising grandchildren 30 years older than we were with our kids. And now we've got elderly parents in our lives. What are you doing? I'm just going to keep laying down my life. I could go do a number of things. Oh, I could. But these are the people that brought me. I'm going to stay faithful to that man. Faithful to my children. Faithful to my church. I'm not going anywhere. We're going to go wherever we go together. I feel Jesus. I have a story that illustrates the point I'm trying to make. Many years ago, probably 1980, my husband and I took a trip with his parents over the Christmas holidays to Belgium. We got an amazing fare, and so we all went. One of the first times I'd been out of the country. And toward the end of that holiday break, my husband's parents were going to go home, fly out of Brussels and go home. And we were going to take an all-night train and go to Barcelona because I wanted to speak Spanish in Spain. I'd studied Spanish. And the rain in Spain is mainly on the plain, so I had to go and see that. So we kissed them and said goodbye. We knew where they were going to be, the hotel, and we got our luggage, and we took a train to Nice, which is in the southern part of France. And so that night we had to wait for like a midnight train and went to Georgia. It was to Barcelona. And I had never been out of the country before, so I was kind of stupid. You know, Americans, they're very friendly. And they're not very savvy. And I was just young and dumb. And we were in this train station by ourselves, and I started feeling a little bit uncomfortable because there were two men who were watching us. It just made my skin crawl. And even though I'm dumb as a stump when it comes to stuff like that, there was a sixth sense going, dee 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 Warning, 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 warning. Well, before long, they kind of moved in a little bit closer, and I'm 
getting a little more tense and I can't leave because I don't know where to go and it's dark and what am I supposed to do? And so they finally make their move. Hey, mate, you got any money? British and Algerian, a team. And my husband said, I have some change. So he emptied his pockets. I mean, we were on a very limited income, traveling like students, you understand? And so I was just awash in fear. If you could smell fear, I probably filled the train depot with fear. Suddenly the door opened and an entire family of loud, noisy Americans burst through the door. And I was like, oh, God, you're a savior. And I plastered myself right in the middle of them. It's like, save me now, please. Well, I should have taken that as a warning, but I didn't. Because I thought, I'm safe. So we got on that midnight train to Barcelona. And across from us sat a stranger, a man in a fez and a long robe. And my husband and I sat on this little side, the little banquette on our side of the train. And I told him, honey, I'm just going to stretch out and close my eyes and put my handbag underneath my seat for the whole world to see. I should have lain on it, but I didn't. You know what's coming, don't you? Somewhere at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning when it's really dark. When if anything's going to happen, that's the time to paralyze you with fear. You know what I mean? I sneezed and reached for a Kleenex. There's nothing under there. So I hung my head over and I looked. The gentleman across the way, arms folded. He's never moved a muscle. My entire handbag with my little high school pen with my name engraved on it, gone. My passport, gone. Traveler's checks, gone. Thank God I didn't have a credit card. Everything, gone. I came to my heart just pounding. Now the adrenaline's pumping. I'm threatened. But by whom or by what? I don't know. I'm just awash in fear. And it's dark. And of course, about an hour and a half later, here comes the conductor. Ticket! I need your billet, your ticket, ticket. I'm like, sir, I, I don't have a ticket. I've been robbed. And I'm like, oh, no, you don't. Ticket, I said, I don't have a ticket. You cannot go. You come here. So the train stops at the border. And we voulez-vous, I don't know. I was just, you have to get off the train because you have no credentials, no papers. In the middle of the wee hours of the morning, we unload with our little bag. We've only been married three years. My husband has never seen a hysterical woman before. <laughs> never in his life. And it's escalating. I'm percolating to a full meltdown. I mean, it's there. I'm scared. I'm tired. I'm lost. 
There's nobody to help me, and nobody gives a rip. I'm saying, I I was robbed. And I'm like, did you hear me? I've been robbed, and the tears start rolling down my cheeks, and they're just looking at me. They're probably saying, look at this stupid American girl. She thinks that everybody's going to take care of her. <laughs> I would have clawed their eyes out of their faces if I had thought they were saying that. Where'd the Holy Ghost go? Anywhere but me. Because <laughs> it was gone. It was so gone. I was in full. I will rip, tear, shred. I want my mother! And so we kept saying, we have parents, my husband's trying to reason with them. Well, he didn't understand. They wouldn't let us use the phone. There were no cell phones in that day. He wouldn't let us use the phone. And I said, give him some money. It's amazing what money does. So my husband dug in his pocket and pulled out some francs. Oh, boom, boom, boom. I was like, I will boom, boom you. If I, I would like to just beat you within an inch of your life. 30 seconds ago, you didn't understand a word, but the instant a piece of money comes out, oh, c'est les téléphones, téléphone. I just want to go, and I, we're going to die. We're going to die. Nobody knows where we are. Nobody knows where we are. Nobody. His parents think we're in Spain, safely in Spain. We're not safe. We're surrounded by threats. And so my husband used the phone and called the hotel and got the hotelier and said, we've been robbed. You have to tell my parents. Let me spell my name for you. And his mom and dad getting ready to fly out the next day are hearing from the hotel manager, your children, they have been robbed in, uh, in France. And uh, I don't know. Uh, and I know this because his parents told us later. We don't know what to do. We don't know to stay. We can't get to you because we don't know where you are. We were in the little lovely town of Cerber. So in the wee hours of the morning, right before the sun rose, my husband drug our luggage to a little pension. And the French woman that ran the pension thought we were thieves and robbers because when we walked in, she went, Zerun. And I was like, I will murder you right here. Don't look at me like that. I have been robbed. I am not the robber. But you don't know what it feels like to be a stranger until you've seen people size you up and look you up and down and determine you're not worthy. There might be some people in this room that know what that feels like. Rejection. Judgment. Evaluation. Criticism. Hurts, doesn't it? I was getting a full graduate lesson in I Need Jesus. For three days, we had to stay in that hotel, and I wouldn't leave the room. I was petrified. We had little tins of tuna that he had brought because we didn't have enough money to eat in the cafes and the fine restaurants. So he would go buy a baguette, and we would open a can of fish and eat tuna fish on a French baguette, living the life. 
and I would weep because I know Jesus. Where are you, Jesus? I'm petrified. And what I didn't know is in my mind, I had already accepted this horrible thought with no protection. No one knows where you are. You are going to die. Your mother will not know where your body is. Say, how can you go from that? I went there. Because when you're afraid and you're alone and nobody knows you and nobody cares, they would look at me with tears rolling down my cheeks. It didn't mean anything. Money meant something. Not my humanity, not my need, not the fact that I was robbed, not the fact that I needed help. It was money. I became an object. Three days we stayed in that hotel and my husband would go forage for food and I would lay in the bed and sob. Where is Jesus? I couldn't speak in tongues. I couldn't pray. I just wept. And then we took an all-night train because this is what they said. You have to go to Paris. There is an American embassy. And you must find the embassy. And you will know where it is because there is a flag. Find your flag. You will find your embassy. And we made our way, riding on a train, neither one of us sleeping. If one closed his eyes, the other was bug-eyed. The train was full. We never slept for 24 hours just holding on to each other and our meager possessions. And the day we arrived, pulling our luggage down the Champs-Élysées where people were dressed to the nines and all the houses of fashion, my hair hadn't been combed, my clothes hadn't been washed, I was a refugee looking for a landing place. What I did not know, though, is the call that I had been robbed had gotten through to some people who knew my name and loved me and they had been calling that embassy are they there yet there are two American kids that are on their way have they come in the door yet I remember when we drug our weary selves to the gate and there stood a marine in crisp whites standing to attention ma'am welcome to the United States in Paris let me open the door for you I walked inside a building that was protected by people who knew who I was and a man I met at the counter says we've been expecting you your parents have been calling every hour on the hour what are you saying when the enemy comes in like a flood I run to the embassy there's a flag here there's help here there's healing here there's victory here there's hope here the red the white and the blue you have found the embassy you have found safety you're home he will give you papers you're a citizen of another country you don't belong here we're on our way home Oh, lift your hands to the Lord right now. Hallelujah. I made it. I made it. 
I made it. That's all I can think. I made it. I made it. I'm safe. Bow your heads and close your eyes. What are you running from? What are you running from? I feel like there's some refugees from sorrow and brokenness. You've been through hell. You may be young and you've already been. What difference does it make if it's self-inflicted or if it's from somebody else? An embassy is home on foreign soil. You have found the embassy of another country. His flag flies here. There's a pastor that's an ambassador. He knows how to get you papers that will enable you to go home. And I'm telling you, we are near home right now. You're going to need a passport. You're going to need to be baptized in Jesus' name. You're a citizen of another country. And you need to fly the flag of the colors of home. Hallelujah. Would you stand together? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want Cassandra to come again and sing. I know there are some people that need to come home. I don't know who robbed you. I don't know who hurt you. I don't know who took advantage of you. But I'm telling you that Jesus is here. And he wants to wrap his arms around you. He wants to give you strength. He wants to give you victory. He wants to give you power. He wants to give you hope. There are people here tonight that are hopeless with Without God, you don't have a hope. But I'm telling you, Jesus is in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you would like to come to the altar, I'm going to invite you right now. Somebody needs to come home. Hallelujah.